Hi, I'm Shinyi Pai, host of the podcast Blue Suit. In a world full of stuff, what do we choose to hold on to? The Blue Suit is a podcast about commonplace objects and the people who transform them into something remarkable. From an inherited Chinese-English dictionary to an old caliphone playing records left behind by Japanese-Americans incarcerated during World War II, our podcast showcases modern-day artifacts of Asian America and what gets elevated to heirloom status. Find it by searching for The Blue Suit wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I want to tell you about the professional playwriting debut of Daniel K. Isaac, who's the actor that you might know from Billions and The Chinese Lady. Mayi Theatre Company presents Once Upon a Korean Time. Mixing traditional fables with the horrors of the Korean War, Daniel K. Isaac's epic new play is a funny and deeply moving analog for the experiences of the Korean-American diaspora. Isaac deftly moves his characters through time, tracing the legacies of trauma that are passed on from one generation to the next, and the various coping mechanisms each one uses to soldier on. The show features sea kings, bubbles, tigers, generational trauma, and barbecue. Previews begin August 23rd at La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater in New York City. It's a strictly limited engagement through September 18th only. Tickets are now available by visiting ma-yi-theater, with an R-E at the end, dot org. Use the exclusive code SATURDAY for $30 tickets. That's $15 off regular admission, and it's valid through September 1st only. Check it out! I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our eighth season where we're talking about Asian American sci-fi. And we're dedicating three episodes to the series Future States, a science fiction series that ran for five seasons from 2010 to 2014. If you missed our last episode, we talked to Greg Pak, who not only directed Robot Stories, which we covered in episode one of the season, but also two shorts in Future States. And for this episode, we're going to concentrate on a few other shorts. And, and really is, this is a groundbreaking moment that really isn't talked about as such. We usually talk about things like in Asian American film history, like the class of 1997, when there were all these feature films being made in one year. And that was definitely a landmark. And then Aidan, you and I, like back when we were covering Asian American cinema, we'd always say, ah, oh, 2006 is a watershed year. And then we would make a case for it. Um, but looking back, I really have to say Future States between 2010 and 2014 was just one of those things where somebody said, let's bring together filmmakers, mostly like just non-white male filmmakers who are usually so thought about as the auteurs of science fiction. What happens when we turn the camera to women directors, to uh, filmmakers of color? How do they interpret this challenge of making science fiction? And for whatever reason, they invited a ton of Asian American directors to take up this challenge. So I would say, like, let's credit Karim Ahmad, who is one of the spearheads of Future States. And he was doing this on behalf of ITVS to produce these episodes that would be broadcast on public television and then on the Internet. 
If you look at the director list across these five seasons, there's a few dozen films being made, but like Barry Jenkins had an episode before Moonlight. Other like just greats like Raman Barani. We have Alex Rivera who made Sleep Dealer, but then also just incredible Asian American filmmakers like Nisha Ganatra, Z Chun, Joe Turner Lin, Amin Kadarali, Kimi Takasue. That Which Once Was is actually one of my favorite Future States films. But we want to focus today on some of the short films that were made for Future States that were directed by Asian Americans and included Asian American characters in their vision of the future. So yeah, last episode, we talked about Greg Pak's Mr. Green and Happy Fun Room. So in addition to these two Greg Pak shorts, I think there were like five other shorts that were directed by Asian Americans that were about Asian American characters. One is Jennifer Pong's Advantageous, and we're not even going to talk about that today because we're going to dedicate the entire next episode to that short which ended up becoming a feature film. But of the rest, we have J.P. Chan's Digital Antiquities. And then we have two shorts by Tanush Chopra, Pia and Teacher in a Box. We should mention that we haven't seen Sharat Raju's work at home. We cannot find it. So I think maybe we could just talk about these broadly. We don't have to go through them short by short in detail. Uh, because I think, like, collectively, they work similarly to, like, robot stories in that, like, wow, like, sci-fi can be this, sci-fi can be that. What stuck out to you about these shorts? Like, or just seeing them as a package. It's fun because of the whole premise, right? Like, it's specific but vague, where, you know, they had to set something in the future, but they could do whatever they wanted with it. And I think that's kind of what's fun about this entire season, right? Where it's like, if you could imagine the future of Asian America, what would it be? Where at the end of the day, you're looking for these, like, human stories about love and family just happen to set in these futuristic world. I think all of these shorts are imagining Asians in the future in kind of a post-racial way. Mm. I mean, this is 2010, 2014. These are Obama-era short films. And Greg Pak actually alluded to this when he was talking about his approach to race in, in the future, which is, you know, like, these characters just happen to be Asian. Let's think of a future that way. I wonder if that would be the case if these films were being made now, or if this challenge was being made now. If, if filmmakers that feel like, Actually, this fantasy of a utopic post-racial world is not on the horizon. Yeah, there's no racial conflict in any of these, huh? <laughs> we'll, we'll save advantageous for next week, which is not explicitly racialized, but it's totally on the surface. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Pia is set in San Francisco, right? So I just everyone just happens to be South Asian. Including the robots. Yeah, yeah. The robots take on the shape of Pia Shaw, the actress, and they're named Pia. 10th generation Pia's state-of-the-art and all unregistered. And Tanush Chopra's other one, Teacher in a Box, has Lin Chen. Rebecca Hazelwood. Her capacity for design is off the chart. She demonstrates resistance to the curriculum. So what? That's normal. I think she demonstrates more resistance than normal. Is that what you think? It is. Asian Americans hanging out in the future. And then in Digital Antiquities, J.P. Chan Short kind of imagines a multiracial future. Hello. Can I help you, Mr. Hickson? Is Mr. Huang here? No, he's not. Can I help you? Not only are the stories different, the looks of the films are all different. So Tanuj Chopra's Pia, it has all like the cool digital effects. There is a new stolen android. Report. Would you like to hear more? 
interesting robot fashion. <laughs> um, it's very sleek, kind of blue-gray tones. Without giving too much of it away, it's it's about a couple played by Ajay Naidu, who some of you may know from Office Space um, and Loins of Punjab Presents, which we had talked about previously on Saturday School. His kind of significant other and is t- played by Tilotama Shome, who is this major Indian actress who was in Sir and Monsoon Wedding. When Ajay's character passes away, the robots kind of play a role in possibly extending that relationship. Maybe. I don't know. It's kind of ambiguous, but it's like seductively so. And the way that like technology seduces us into wanting to believe. You talked about how um, Greg Pak's two shorts seem like an extension of robot stories, but I feel like Pia's seem like an extension of the last short of robot stories. But it's like robots as a way for us to rethink human relationships. When you lose somebody in the real world, can you still retain some of that real connection with technology? Yeah, yeah. What's real and what's not real? It's kind of those similar questions, right? Whereas Teacher in a Box, which is Tanuja's from just a few years later, it's black and white. We think about black and white as past instead of the future. So it seems like a very explicit choice. To me, the black and white feels a little bit noirish at points. Like there's a part when they're at a bar and it feels kind of like jazz clubs in, in old noir films. And maybe because everyone just looks so good in this and like they're fashioned so well. And it, just, yeah, it reminds me of noir. That one's about teaching through um, virtual reality. So you see the headsets. But at the end of the day, it's about a relationship with a teacher and a student. Back in the day, people used to tell me I'd make a great teacher. I was good with kids. But life happens. Things get taken from you. It's not long before you lose your touch. Why are you telling me this? Everybody thinks you're a genius. You're about to blow a big opportunity. I could tell you the same thing, but I think you already know that. What you don't know is you won't be the first person to waste their talent. I think what struck me about this one was that futuristic technology is, is pretty minor in this one. Like, this is really about teacher students and schools. Sometimes with these sci-fi films, when you're kind of imagining a future, you, like, overshoot it. You're like, oh, I'm going to set it for, like, five years from now. But really, like, this would never happen either ever or at least for another 20 years. But I feel like this one was very, like, oh, yeah, this happens now. If he was just trying to set it now, he got it kind of correct. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, no matter what movie you're making, like, if it's a classroom that's set in the 1980s, you would have certain kinds of things in the classroom. If it's set in 2020, you would probably have, like, tablets or something. And if you set in the future, it'll have VR headsets. It's just a prop. And really what he's exploring are these relationships. And then there's J.P. Chan's Digital Antiquities. I like this one a lot. It's just like an ordinary little indie drama. It happens to take place a little bit in the future. And honestly, this is the one I feel like this one came true. <laughs> like This is pretty much what our lives are like now. So this was made in 2011 or so. And it's about a future where we don't have optical CD players anymore. So a guy, he has like these drives and like this kind of like physical media that he can't access anymore. So he takes it to like the one place in the country that still is able to like hack into it. And so yeah, it's like funny banter between them and then... It turns into this adventure movie where they're like in these like cavernous underground layers of digital trash, hard drives and like old computer parts. And they have to like find the missing pieces needed to play these mysterious hard drives. Yeah, that is true. I feel like I have these um, cassettes 
of old interviews that we've done or what is it did you beta? yeah we have like the digibeta tapes of our interviews that we did in like 2006 or whenever we you know we talk to any documentarians that are making films i'm thinking of like chinatown rising where there was like all this footage in a basement <laughs> that's the premise of the movie right you have to go find a place that can help you digitize this thing he has a cd from his mom and he wants to know what's on it and this place is one of the only places that can help him figure it out it's a cd Well, it certainly has data on there, but in what shape, I have no idea. These things barely worked, even when they were working. Where'd you get this? It was a gift. Did your gift come with a device that burned it? No. I can probably dig one up, but it's going to take a while. And it's not going to be cheap. The characters look at CDs and stuff in this movie like they're fossils. <laughs> yeah, and I was just at this plaza which uses CDs as outdoor decoration. And then I was watching my kids look at the CDs. Yeah, that's how they look at CDs now. <laughs> like it is a fossil. I've seen people who buy vinyl just to have on their walls. It's like a painting to them, which is great because they're like artwork. CDs less so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the utility of them as archives of music or data. That's not how they're used anymore. I was online today on Facebook. Somebody posted, hey, does anyone have a CD drive so I can listen to some discs I have? Digital Antiquities, it's it's here. Um, <laughs> I know. I think a lot of people don't have DVD Blu-ray players anymore either, right? What I also like about Digital Antiquities is it's kind of the premise of the Saturday School podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like All of these movies we keep talking about that are only exists on DVDs and nobody can stream them. <laughs> uh, you have to find the one archive in the country that has it. You're right. <laughs> That's so funny. And then you better hope you have the technology to be able to play. Yeah. Another thing we were talking about that seems like real life too is when the character says stuff like, turn off TV, or I don't know what exactly what it is. I think you were saying that this was at the very beginning of Siri when it probably felt weird that you could just like talk to Siri and then have technology do all this stuff for you, but that's totally how it is now too. We do that. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I still think it's weird. <laughs> like I don't, I don't have that in my house. Oh, you don't? Oh, I totally um, have that in my house. I think if it weren't for Alex, I wouldn't do it either. But he set everything up. So yeah, when I leave, we have like an alarm. I just say, "Okay, Google, I'm leaving." And then what's weirder is that my kids do that too. My kids have a tablet, and before my kids could read, she figured out how to be like, "Okay, Google," so she could like look up stuff without me. <laughs> I've seen your daughters do this at my house. They oh, really? just came and then asked my TV to play YouTube. <laughs> so anyways, so I think we are the elders of digital antiquities. <laughs> or I'm older than you are, apparently, because you actually are able to navigate this new world. Um, the other interesting thing that this film brings up is that these kinds of antiquities are also, it's waste, mm. that it's physical waste. And what do we do with all of the e-waste? Specifically, we're talking about digital assets. I think when digital came out, there was this dream that we would not need stacks and stacks of books anymore because you can have like 50 books on one Kindle or something. And so this is a way of not having trash. And yet, in some ways, the Kindle is more fit for the trash dump than 50 books are because when we don't have the codex to decode ebooks anymore, we can still bring out a print novel and read it under a light bulb. And so that will still be valuable. Whereas the Kindles and the iPods, which I heard just went extinct, our cell phones that we think about as the tools in which we can consolidate and save the planet and then not really use paper are actually the new trash that we did not think about when we were being so optimistic. 
Yeah, I guess so. I think I was thinking of the in-between. So I was thinking about the CDs and the DVDs. Like, do you save all your DVDs? My problems went way deeper than that, <laughs> which is like, I don't know how I admit this on a podcast. But it's okay, I'll admit it. Like, I want to get rid of my DVDs as soon as there's a Blu-ray version <laughs> because I'm like, I will never watch an inferior version of this. And then I look at, but there are special features on this DVD that are not on the Blu-ray. Mm. Or are there discrepancies between these two films, like different cuts of the film? So you keep both? Oh, here's my other problem. Like I have these Hong Kong movies that are like on DVD. And then you have like Criterion is now putting out Hong Kong movies, but they only have the Cantonese track. The Hong Kong original DVDs have the Cantonese and the Mandarin and the Chinese subtitles. I'm like, oh, but this is a deeper archive of the history of this movie. Now I have two versions. <laughs> Um, this is tangential a little bit, but it's related. <laughs> I think it's really because this is about like, how do we think about the digital as actually still physical trash? Because in some ways we get this thing about, all right, well, what if we just had a MP4 file that had all the audio tracks and all the subtitles and we wouldn't need any of these discs, but then we still need a hard drive on which to keep these files. And we'll just tell ourselves, oh, I can't have like a thousand files on my computer. And then eventually I'll run out of space and I'll need another hard drive and so on. And eventually I need to like migrate all of those files onto a new hard drive because my old hard drive is breaking down. And then we have digital trash, physical trash that supposedly was going to go away because of the digital. They will become antiquities one day. The optimistic side, they're like relics, they're antiques. But really, it's just stuff that doesn't decompose and it's just going <laughs> to pollute our world. That's the tension in digital antiquities, right? Joe May's character is the person who works at the store, so she's very cynical about this. She's kind of like, all my clients are older, they're coming to me because they think they see these or hard drives will unlock something. Like sort of what we're thinking, like, you know, find these hidden treasures. And she has a line that's kind of like, if it's not saved in your heart and mind, then it's probably best left forgotten or something, which is so cynical, right? And then we have the other guy that's really looking for that treasure, right? And finding the treasure. Yeah, because treasure is buried, right? Like like somebody buried that treasure and we can't often trust our memories because there are many things we don't know about and we need to find some kind of photographic evidence. My mother left me this when she passed away. Your address was on it. I, I also want to mention that this short, it feels to me like the first draft of J.P. Chan's later feature film, which is called The Picture of You, which is about these siblings. Their mom just passed away, and then they find these images that she stored in her house that you, you normally wouldn't want to imagine your mom in photographs like this. Um, and so it's like siblings making sense of the past through images. And this is a past that's only accessible through the physical images that someone chose not to throw away. Yeah, so it's less about how it predicts the world, even though it does, um, but more about kind of these philosophical issues about relationships with technology and memory that gets unlocked by all these shorts. So I think like mostly that future states because it's episodic, because these are short films, we just have an abundance of different futures that warn us about certain things or that like let us be a guide as we make sense of the futures that we are actually now living. And a lot of these films are just available online, whether it's on the Future States website or on YouTube or Vimeo. Yeah, Future States used to have all of these online, but for some reason only seasons three, four, and five are online now. They're on their YouTube channel. You could just Google future states and, and you could find like a list of all of the episodes and you could just Google each video individually. 
and I do also want to mention that we often think about now, like Asian American filmmakers are so typecast, they can only make Asian stuff. But maybe a future that this series imagines is that Asian American filmmakers can make whatever the hell they want. So you have like Z Chun and Ben Recky and Amin Kadarelli, Kimi Takasue, Nisha Ganatra, Joe Turner Lin, Asian American filmmakers who are able to make non-Asian films as well. Um, and not necessarily making white films, but like making films about native people or like uh, or, or other stories. And yeah, m- maybe that is part of thinking about cinema of the future, where we don't have to be quite so bound by our identities in telling stories. So check them out, as well as Jennifer Pong's Advantageous, which we have not mentioned. It's so ripe with discussion that we're going to spend all of next episode talking about it. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Tallis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.